On January 23rd, 2007, in order to obtain a search warrant, a narcotics officer claimed to have seen Meek Mill selling crack out of his home. The following day, Meek was stopped on his way to a corner store and they found a gun. He was badly beaten, arrested for illegal possession of a firearm, and later charged with assaulting arresting officers who claimed that he had pointed the gun at them. In 2008, due to the cost, Meek waived the jury trial, was tried for drug and weapons charges, and sentenced to two years in prison plus eight years probation, which kicked off his storied clash with Judge Janice Sprinkley. Over the decade that followed parole, tight restrictions and his contentious relationship with Brinkley made more punishment almost an inevitability. In November of 2017, she sentenced him to at least two more years in prison for alleged violations, including popping a wheelie without a helmet. This gained plenty of outrage and public support largely due to a police department whistleblower who exposed Meek's 2007 arresting officer as a liar and a thief, his 2008 conviction was overturned. He was granted a new trial under a new judge, bringing his 2007 criminal case and probation to a long overdue close in August of 2019. However, his litigation was still ongoing at the time of this episode's original release. Meek Mill's notoriety shines a light on the regularity of legalized harassment by authorities and the recidivism that results. A docu-series chronicling his legal saga called Free Meek is now streaming on Prime Video. And Meek's friend, Michael Rubin, one of the owners of the Philadelphia 76ers, joined us for a discussion that, unfortunately, is as relevant today as it was back then. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry radio discover more shows and movies for free beyond zero is toyota's vision of a carbon neutral future and more toyota gives you the power to reduce carbon emissions and help move toward its vision with a wide selection of electrified vehicles whether you're into hybrid EVs for that traditional Toyota feel with better MPG, battery EVs for a smooth and silent ride, or plug-in hybrid EVs that switch between battery and fuel, Toyota has you covered. And for those who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. Giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions and move closer to Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified vehicles slash beyond zero vision. Toyota, let's go places. 
Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. That's me. And today we have an extraordinary show. And you're about to find out why. Today's guest is the one and only Meek Mill. Yeah. Um, and Michael Rubin is with him. And Meek, you need no introduction, but welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you for bringing me on the show. Uh, I appreciate all the work you're doing, and we're going to get into that right away. But with him is Michael Rubin, um, who is the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers and has uh, an amazing background as an entrepreneur and businessman, but who has become a tremendous advocate for criminal justice reform and is about to really shake things up. So, Michael, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you in the movement and I'm glad you're here on the show. Hey, thanks for everything you're doing. I'm glad to be here. So, Meek, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because your original case... Yeah was, in fact, a wrongful conviction. Yes. And that's something a lot of people don't understand. And there's a lot more they don't understand about the circumstances in which you were arrested and how this nightmare saga, which is now in its second decade in the criminal justice system, has unfolded. Yeah. And it's important to tell this story because it shines a light on so many aspects of what's wrong with the criminal justice system. And we're here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, not Philadelphia, Mississippi. Yeah. But even still, the system here has been so backwards for so long. And you were born right into the thick of it. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that. Because 1987. So the number of people incarcerated in the United States stayed relatively constant from 1900 till about 1970. Yeah. And then it went crazy. It, it, doubled and tripled and quadrupled and Philadelphia was a hot spot. And you were born into a situation in which black men were being incarcerated at rates that were unprecedented in, yeah. actually in the history of the world. There's a, a book that really touches on everything that you went through called On the Run by Alice Goffman, a Princeton PhD sociologist who went and lived on 6th Street in Philadelphia. She said, in the first 18 months that I spent in the neighborhood, at least once a day, I watched the police stop pedestrians or people in cars, search them, run their names for warrants, ask them to come in for questioning or make an arrest. In that same 18-month period, I watched the police break down doors, search houses, and question arrest or chase people through houses 52 times. Nine times police heard helicopters circled overhead and beam searchlights onto local streets. I noticed blocks taped off and traffic redirected as police searched for evidence. 14 times during my first 18 months of near-daily observation, I watched the police punch, choke, kick, stomp on, or beat young men with their nightsticks. That's what the situation was like. It's what it still is like, and that's what has to change. Yeah. Can you talk about that, about how you grew up and how this, you know, was almost a, almost a fait accompli? Uh, you know, I come from Philadelphia, actually, the North, North Philadelphia, which now is, like, called the Temple area. And, uh, you know, we grew up in environments where, like, drug-infested environments where 
a lot of violence, a lot of drugs, a lot of things taking place. So it's like you could be standing in the wrong place and lose your life, or you could be standing in the wrong place and get charged with a crime you didn't do. That was just like normal. Actually, I've been hanging with my friend, uh, P-Mine, probably 15 years. And I remember back, he went to jail when he was probably about 15 years old. He just turned 31. And it's like, yeah, the first time I went to prison, he said, a white guy just pulled up in the back of a car and just pointed at me out the car and said, I robbed him for $7, but he had $380 in his pocket. And he went to jail for that. He ended up doing, I think, like two years in that in the juvenile facility. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was he got a felony on his record for armed robbery. And, you know, uh, if you know him, he's not like a, it's not Great robbery. He's not robbery in his system. Uh, he made mistakes in his life, but... Me being around him, I never knew that, but I, I witnessed that so many times. I witnessed standing on a corner and a cop pull up with a, a Mexican guy in the back. And I don't know, to, sometimes we say, and in our world, in a sarcastic way or being funny, we always be like, uh, white people look the same to us. Uh, some of my white friends be like, oh, black people look the same to us. But sometimes that is the case with people. And they just pull up and they point people out. And you stand there when the cops pull up and just be like, I hope this guy don't point me on. That's just one of the scenarios out of a million scenarios being caught in the middle of poverty, a, a drug-infested neighborhood where people are getting robbed left and right, where, you know, cops locking people up left and right just to get stripes on that record, you know what I'm saying? And we grew up in that, and, you know, at 18 years old, I was caught up in that system. And even though I've been on the path ever since of doing spectacular in my life from where I come from, that same system is still haunting me and hawking me down even at the age of 31 and having a record deal and being able to handle business and work. It's still haunting me to pull me back to the same system where I just left 11 years ago. And you just brought up a very important point, which is that we know from decades of research now that cross-racial identifications are extremely unreliable. Identifications yeah. in general are unreliable because when people witness a crime, especially violent crime, their adrenaline goes crazy and their perception gets screwy and the brain doesn't function properly. So it almost becomes like guessing, but it gets even worse. And there's a movement now in various places to try to put in a, a system where a jury has to be instructed in a case in which a cross-racial identification is a, an important factor that these things are as unreliable as they are because they need to know. But in, yeah. in most cases, they don't know. They just think a, an identification is the most powerful thing in a courtroom, too. A guy points at you and goes, that's him. You know, it's hard for a jury to see past that. Yeah, it's like it's in the neighborhood, we all wearing white tees of the summer of 2003. Everybody, white T-shirts is the popular thing to wear, uh, denim shorts. And you got a guy, he might be Asian, he pull up on the corner. We all, seven of us got braids and four of us got little cuts, but we all look the same, the ones that got braids to him. That's just, you're a lottery pick to get caught up in the system. Like, whoever you point at, that's you. And you better hope you don't have no felonies on your record already because you might go to jail for a long time. And sociologically speaking, and this goes back again to the 70s and 80s, right? At the same time that they were rolling back welfare and other programs for the urban poor, they were ramping up the policing. And they were, now you created the perfect storm because what was happening was you had uh, these, these systems coming in for tracking arrests. You had so many more cops. In, in fact, in I think in Philadelphia, 69% more police 
decade over decade than they were before, and they had to make arrests. Yeah. So whereas before they were largely ignoring what was going on in, in the community, now there were heightened penalties for not just for violent crimes, but also for all kinds of different drug crimes, for vagrancy, for trespassing, for anything. And they were in a position where they were arresting people left and right and creating this permanent underclass. And Michael, you know, obviously you grew up here too, right? But your situation must have been very different. I grew different. up in a very uh, different world. I grew up maybe <laughs> 20 minutes from Meek, but Meek used to always say to me, and we used to have this argument for years, he'd say to me, Michael, there's two Americas. And I'd be like, like, dude, shut up. There's like, there's, there's one America, like, stop, yeah. you know, like you're doing great. Like, you know, I, I didn't understand. Like, you, what are you telling me about these two worlds? We live in one great country. And, and, you know, he, we'd argue about it all the time. And I remember the day that, that Meek got sentenced, November 6, 2017, he yeah. called me from the Philadelphia jail before they transferred him to a different jail. And he said, he said, you see, I told you this is what happens to the yeah, black I people. Like, and I, I told you. Right. And I just like that, you know what I said? You were right. I was wrong. And there is two worlds. And, you know, for me, November 6, 2017 was really a life-changing moment because I would never have been able to understand or really believe. And I don't think anybody would, would be able to believe how crazy a circumstance he was living in because it didn't seem possible until you sat in the courtroom. And even people that have come to later court hearings of Judge Brinkley have said, I've heard everything about this, but I didn't believe it until I actually saw it. And it's so crazy. So for sure, I grew up in a completely different environment. But Meek always told me from the day I met him, I remember we were at a um, NBA All-Star game. And, you know, within a few minutes, you know, Meek realized I was involved with the Philadelphia 76ers. And was telling me a little bit about his background. He told me that he was charged for pointing a gun at multiple cops. And he said to me, like, you know, I didn't do that. If I pointed, you know, a gun at multiple cops, I'd be dead. Yeah, like, I, I, I heard him, but I didn't really comprehend it. And then, like, if I've told that story to 500 people in the last seven months, every person from law enforcement to politics to anyone who understands anything, they all say the same thing. He's right. He'd be dead. No one would pull a gun on multiple cops and not get shot. And Meek can't obviously talk about the case because the case is still unfortunately going on, which is crazy in itself. We're talking but, common sense. Right. But, <laughs> but I mean, you're talking about a guy who was wrongfully convicted when he was 18 years old of a crime that he didn't commit. He's been sent back to jail multiple times, never committed a new crime. And he's the perfect example of someone who's been stuck in a completely broken criminal justice system for a crime he didn't commit. And it's now 13 years later, and it's still going on. And that shows how broken the criminal justice system is. It's incredible. You know, we have 2.2 million people in prison in America, and including jail, right? Another four and a half million people on probation and parole. Four, yeah. Four, I mean, the latest figure I heard was 4.8, right? And, and when, once we accept those figures, you also have to accept the fact that we now have, between jail, prison, probation, and parole, we have more black people, well, mostly men, under criminal justice supervision in America, than all the slaves at the height of slavery in America in the 1850s or 60s, whatever that was. What are we doing? We, well, it's like well, Michelle Alexander says, the new Jim Crow. What words can't explain is Meek is still on probation for something that we've already said he didn't do, and it's been going on for 13 years from the original wrongful conviction. Yeah. But he can't, like, you can't live that way. Like I say, I joke with him. I feel like I'm on probation because I'm worried about just something going wrong with him. If he decides to leave a state a day early because something changed with the schedule or he gets, you know, someone says, hey, I'm going to pay you to go do this concert. I want to go and I didn't have the proper days of permission. The judge will try to violate him. 
I mean, it's the system is chasing him and trying to violate yeah. him. And that's not what it, probation is supposed to be about rehabilitating somebody, not trying to catch them and send them back to prison. And something that someone told me recently, and you know, I've, I've now become too familiar with this, but 70% of people that go back to jail once they've been in jail and prison are going back for technical probation violations. Like to me, virtually none of those people should be, go, you know, you had a technical a probation crime. violation, right? You didn't commit a crime. You were late for your probation officer. You, you know, didn't pay a certain amount of money. You, you know, you traveled out of the state. You know, he went to you go went see to his your, son yeah. in New Jersey because he lives in Pennsylvania and he can be violated and sent back to jail. This is lunacy. This is absolute lunacy. And I want, I'm really glad you brought that up, Michael, because I don't want to get your take on this week because in a lot of the reforms that are underway right now, there's this hidden caveat or this hidden nightmare, I'll call it, of enhanced probation and other ways of the government keeping people under control. Yeah. So to me, a true crime reform bill should eliminate those problems. And you obviously can speak firsthand about just how restrictive that is. And Michael has said very eloquently, when you have 70% of people going back to jail or prison because they of some technical violation, that's insane, right? Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because I'm very concerned that they're sneaking these devils into the details in these new crime bills that are going to allow them to maintain this control. There's no other way to look at it over millions of people's lives. And there's a profit center in that for a lot of people too. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's more than insane. And me, I, I take it as deep as like I said, I could go see my son in New Jersey and actually be locked in a cage and be locked in chains, shackled from like ankle to feet. For the tomorrow. crime of going from Pennsylvania to New Jersey There's to not see a your son. That's for, what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm being facetious. Yeah. yeah, for the crime in quotes. Yeah, I right. could be they, shackled. Way, I'll tell you this right now. Judge Brinkley is dying to do that to him. She's trying to right now, today, I promise you, she's sitting in her house obsessed about how she can figure out how to put him back in jail for nothing. And he can't talk about that, but I can. I'm telling you straight up, that's what's going on. It's it's really bizarre. I mean, as a country, why would we want? I mean, these are our tax dollars, right? And it and it hurts the average taxpayer. Even if you're somebody who's not particularly concerned about criminal justice reform, or you think a lot of people, or you maybe you think you're tough on crime, or whatever it might be, the the money that's being spent to lock people like you, Meek, up. Right. And to keep you under supervision in this bloated and, and draconian uh, system is is pure insanity. I mean, that money could be spent. I mean, I know that at one time, 80 billion a year, 80 billion. A year. And at one time, I, I don't even know if it's still true, but a few years ago, I checked and California, which a lot of people think was a progressive state, was spending more money locking people up than they were educating people. And we fact check that, but it's absolutely staggering. And the crazy thing is these are Americans. They're our fellow people. You know, I say to politicians when I talk to them, I'm like, you know, if another country treated our people the way we treat our people, we'd invade. This stuff we wouldn't even do to our pets. You know what I'm saying? Like you wouldn't lock your pet in a metal cell uh, for sometimes we get locked in. And I say we because I've been through this experience so many times. And like sometimes we get locked in a room for 23 hours a day for a month or two weeks. Some people actually even years, you know what I'm saying? It's like they say when you come home, it's a violation to be around felons. Like how is it a violation to be around felons when you just had me locked up amongst thousands of felons? Like what rule is this? I'm glad you brought that up too because that's another thing that creates this vicious you know that, circle. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, by the way, you think about it, in the environment you grew up, what percentage of the people that live on your block have had a felony? 
95%. Right. So what you're saying is essentially family. anyone can put you back in prison because there's a rule that says you can't be around felons, but everyone you grew up with has a felony. Yeah. If somebody really made that an issue, I would probably go to jail any day because if I go to the studio with a rapper and we make a song, I don't know his record, but- Right. You don't know. How would you know? You're like a, you'd have to have a, a, like a database that with yeah, you at all times, which most sense. people can't afford that. I mean, you're not going to do it. Yeah. But the fact is, I'm just quoting a statistic here. One in four black children born in 1990 had an imprisoned father by the time he or she turned 14. Yeah. Right? And the, and the numbers just get worse and worse. I mean, 30% of black men without college educations today will have been to prison by their mid-30s and spent up to a year in prison. 30%. Yeah. I mean, that's without college educations. And the numbers go to 60% when you look at black males without high school educations. Yeah. 60% of black males without high school education will spend a year in prison or jail before their 30th birthday, what are we doing? And the fact is, it's actually impossible to succeed, which is why I'm always amazed when somebody does come from the background that you came from and make it. Because yeah. with that cycle, how do you do it? They've created a minefield that you can't walk through, right? Yeah. Once you get arrested, you're going to get rearrested no matter what you do, pretty much. Yeah, 100%. And like, like me and Mike, we just spent an hour, Mike, just teaching me about financial stuff and like tax and things that like when we growing up from like age 13 to 20 years old, we probably invest 95% of our thinking time in how to survive in these type of conditions because it's like almost impossible to survive. So like you got to put like your all into how to, even my mind frame now, I still like even though I travel the world, it's still installed in my mind. It's still like something that is like I might come into a certain situation or a certain area and I go into survival mode and, and I have to double back and like, this is not even that type of environment. Well, I don't live this type of life anymore, but it's just always installed inside my head. You know what I'm saying? And coming from environments like that, like you said, 60%, where I come from, it feel like it's 90. Like, do that count death? Well, I know yeah, that if you count death, no, going, the rate probably go up to probably ninety five percent. Young black men being murdered, uh, going to prison, probably sixty plus another thirty five percent. By the way, Meek, I've heard you talk about this. You know, how many people do you know that you were close with, that you had a real relationship with, that have been murdered? Twenty, twenty five. That's that's. Do a, you know how many I know? How many? Zero. Yeah. That's do you know, you know how many I know that have been close? Zero. Right. Yeah. So you're talking about Same just, here. Yeah, different environments. So it's, yeah, that's you know, crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. No, we have two separate systems of justice in America one for people with money, and one for people without, and one for people who are of color, and one for people who are not. And when, and, it, and when you hit the reverse jackpot of being a person of color without being born into a wealthy family, which is a huge majority. Yeah, um, you don't even have to come from a wealthy family to like not be around somebody that was murdered. It's really like territorial. Like, I got one of my songs where I'm talking about like, like we've been put in groups in certain areas, even with public housing. Public housing is really across Philadelphia. So if you grow grow up less fortunate, they sticking people in certain areas. If you pay attention to it, like it's North Philadelphia, but not the whole North Philadelphia. It's a certain part. It's South Philadelphia. It's a rich part of South Philadelphia where like houses cost a million dollars, and then you got some houses that cost. 40,000. They only moving us in certain areas. And I always say this, like if you take a drone, the main line of Philadelphia is like City Line Avenue, where my apartments used to be at, City Line Avenue. You take a drone and then you make the drone go high in the sky. And if the drone had a zoom, it could zoom on this side of the left and right, you will see it's quiet. It's peace here 
in this chaos going here. And if you take a kid from over here and let him spend three summers in this area, he will be less, he won't be the way chaos is. He will turn to be more lean like these people in this area. And I, I witnessed that with my family. I used to have a nephew. He lived in the projects. He used to cuss. He seen a lot of things. He used to act up in school. And, you know, he moved to a suburban area and his whole life changed within two years. It was just that simple. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. For a long time, I've been pondering, thinking about, obsessed with the idea of, with the grim statistics and scenario that we're painting here, and you're exactly the guy I want to ask this question, how many people as talented as you are either got shot or got locked up in prison and and society as a result 
is being deprived of those talents and all the revenue and all the culture that would have come from that. How many Jay-Zs are there that didn't make it out and ended up in prison doing thousands, 50 to life? Thousands. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I know there's guys in there and locked away that's more talented as me. You know what I'm saying? And they probably there for felonies on felonies and when you say like when people label you as a felon like how i said my friend caught a felony he was 15 for something he ain't do now actually when he do make a mistake uh when he do go hang on the corner or when he when we come up on the corner around drug dealers everybody sell drugs your first step is to pick up a drug so when you get your second felony uh you might be actually good at basketball you might have been in 11th grade and actually one of the best players on the team and here come you in a, a a bad neighborhood. You get arrested for something else, and we don't have lawyer money. You might take a deal, and the deal is put this felony on your record. Now you got three felonies on your record, and you're not. They might call you a career criminal. You're not a career criminal. You just was in the wrong mix, basically. Now you might get 15 years for something small. You see how he told you that the guy got 15? Well, he had two life sentences for stealing. Now your your record, your jacket is up. You get 15 years. So now you trapped inside a prison wall. You'll never get a real shot at life. And you might be good as Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. And, you know, all that went down the drain. But as far as rap, it's hundreds. It was probably at least 50 guys that was actually good where I was at, where I was locked up at, where if they was on the street, we would spend time in the studio and build together and make music together. 50, I would say, in that one prison that I know of. Recently, hip hop recently passed rock and roll or rock and pop as the most popular genre worldwide. Yeah. Right. And it all comes from, almost all of it comes from America, right? Yeah. So when we're exporting that, we're bringing tax revenue into this country. When guys like you are making records, selling millions of records, selling concert tickets, you're paying taxes. Yeah. All that stuff goes back into the system. Everybody is being hurt by that, and society is being deprived. Of geniuses at as you, as you said, basketball is another story, right? Yeah. But and 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 when you talk about a scenario like that, you have a kid as good as whoever you want to talk about, Simmons or whatever. Uh, they get arrested like that. Their college scholarships going out the window. Yeah, now they can't play college ball. Now their whole thing. And let's say that guy was going to make a hundred million dollars. Not unrealistic. We have the owner of the 76ers here, right? <laughs> You're yeah. the one writing those checks. We, we look forward to writing many checks for a hundred million dollars because we have that many great. Players. And let me ask you, do those players pay taxes on those checks? Of course. Of course they do, right? Yeah. 40, Huge 40, amounts 40%, 45%, of money coming back into the yeah. city, coming back into the state, coming back into the country because those people were the few lucky ones that managed to escape from this you know, sort of trap that society has built. Yeah. But by the way, even more than money, if you look at the math and you say there's 6.7 or 6.9 million people today in America trapped in the criminal justice system, the question is what's appropriate? Like if we just all said, if you got anyone together and said, what do you think someone should be? in prison for? What should someone be on probation for? If you said, hey, that person got caught smoking weed, should any of those people be in prison? Of course should you not. be shackled from ankle right. to feet? If, 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 if someone stole $100 as a 15-year-old kid, should they be stuck in prison? And the amount of story, like, I think if you looked at the math and just said, let's just take this top down, there's 6.9 million people raised three million. in the criminal justice system. I think you could say, if we just all said, what should people be in the system for and not be in the system? You just took a bunch of rational people the number's probably half. And so to me, what's such a travesty is you've got millions of people stuck in the criminal justice system that don't belong there. And by the way, you're ruining their lives, their families' lives, their friends' lives. By the way, there's a lot of people that belong in prison. We want to live in a safe world. We want to have, you know, violent offenders, people that murder people or rapists, you know, armed robbers. There's a lot of people that belong in prison. And I want those people in prison. 
But the problem is there's millions of people that shouldn't be in the criminal justice system that are. And that's the problem that needs to be addressed. And that's what I know Meek is really excited to help make an impact on. I'm excited to help make an impact on. I think this is an enormous problem that's costing tens of billions of dollars and is ruining millions of people's lives. So, so yeah, and Michael, picking up on what you were saying, 30, 35 years ago, we had 300,000 people in prison in America. Right now, it's 2.2 million. And I'm sure the numbers on probation and parole were, were proportionately about you know seven times less like this one is too. And then you look at a country like Japan, right? Well, we lock, if you look at Western Europe, we lock people up at five to nine times, depending which country you choose, the rate of the rest of the countries in Western Europe. The lowest is five times as many per capita, right? Yep. And then when you look at, we have more people in prison just for drugs in America than everyone in prison of all of Western Europe for everything. And Western Europe is much more, there are many more people in Western Europe than there are in America. And then you get to Japan. In Japan, they have approximately 70,000 people in prison. We probably have 70,000 people in prison in Pennsylvania. In, in a, in a mid-sized yeah. state. Yeah, maybe even a smaller state than this one, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, do the math. So they, we lock people up at 14 times the rate per capita that Japan does. And for anybody listening going, yeah, but that's why we have a lower crime rate than they do. No, we, we don't. don't right? yeah. Our crime rates are the same, and there's no evidence that supports. In fact, I think every social scientist that has studied this would agree that this system is the worst system in terms of crime and, and perpetuating this cycle because of the fact that when people go to jail or prison, as we talked about, growing up in the situation they are, they come out, they're unemployable to a large yeah. extent. And that's something I talk about on the show a lot. Like people that are out there that are employers, take a shot with somebody who was system affected because those people will work harder and better. You know, there's a bakery in New York I just found out about. I saw Ted talk about this that hires yeah. anybody who walks in system affected, they don't even ask. Yeah. And they're hugely successful. They make all the brownies for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Right. Yeah. They sell a zillion can you imagine how many brownies that is? <laughs> well, yeah. I want me to eat a lot of them right now because we have a little weight loss back going on. Yeah, so I'm, hope, I'm hoping maybe we can get this brownies delivered to him right I now. I noticed you were looking a little slimmer the last time. Not yeah. yet, no, but okay. would you yeah. Oh, he, neither is he. he looks heavier though. No, it, but it's you know, that's something that we really need to as a society start to be much more progressive on and more empathetic. I mean, I don't want to sound like some like touchy feely person here. And I'm with you, Michael. I believe I think that- that's an easier problem to solve because I've actually been thinking, look, we employ 8,000 people between my companies. And, you know, I think if you got a bunch of business leaders to focus on taking big companies and saying what areas in their company could start to take people right out of prison to help rehabilitate them, I think there are actually easy ways to make real progress against that. I'm actually optimistic with a little bit of focus and energy that real impact can be made there. A lot of those cases, you have better employees as you just indicated as well. So if we, if we have you know thousands of people that manufacture apparel, work in fulfillment centers, work in call centers. My point is there's you know big opportunities to hire people. And I think that, again, if you look at how many people work in, in America and then how many people are coming out of uh, prison or jail each year, if there's 2.2 million people in prison and jail, maybe, I don't know, 500,000 people come out a year. I don't think it takes a lot to get, get a set of big companies to really focus on helping solve this problem. Well, yeah, and, and especially with long-time offenders, like a long-time offenders, like people who serve over 10 years, they spend most of their jail time working in factories or working for the prison. That, that, their mind, they have experience. Their mind is structured uh, to just work all day. And uh, remember, remember Robert was telling us he had a program where he hired like a lot of ex-offenders and he asked me like, how many of them messed up? Was you in that conversation? He asked me, he said, how many you think messed up out of... 200, I'm probably like, I said 198 because I knew the number would be high. 
because I know of long time offenders, people that come home doing a lot of time now, they don't really want to mess up again. He told me none out of 200. None, yeah. And, yeah, that, and, that's and I was amazing. close. I was only two off. I think this was 20 or 30 years ago. Robert Kraft had a real focus on taking people that had come out of prison and hiring them. And the point to your point was they're his best employees. Yeah. They're his best employees. And it's interesting too. I mean, call it luck, call it whatever you want. The, I've got. I've been very fortunate, blessed, whatever, to be able to help uh, advocate successfully for clemency for dozens of people, deserving people over the years. Not just people who are innocent, but people who are primarily who are sentenced to mandatory sentences, yeah. crazy mandatory sentences like Lenny Singleton, who you referenced earlier, um, or, or uh, Travion Blount, who was sentenced to, at 15 years old, sentenced to six life terms for a robbery in which no one was hurt. Yeah. Um, 15 years old, six life terms. It made international news. Like what, it, what in the world even is that? Like that's, it's gotta be, well, it is unconstitutional yeah, that should now. Be a, that should be a crime to sentence somebody to that. Like why? That's murder. And, the, and, the, and to me, that's the, that should be the easy things to get everyone aligned on and fix. And by the way, take, talk about the state that Meek is from, that I'm from in Pennsylvania. We're one of three states in America that has no cap on probation. So wow. another 47 states have caps of probation. Some are three years, two years, four years. We have no cap in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So someone like wow. me, who- I didn't know that. Was for, separate that he was wrongfully convicted 13 years ago, appointing a gun that he didn't point a gun at a cop. By the way, where multiple police officers have come forward and said it was a lie. So we have affidavits from a police officer who came forward and said, no, I was one of the two arresting officers. And no, he didn't point the gun. Okay. Now, after that, you've still got a system that's just completely broken. And in Pennsylvania, he gets sentenced to probation. And then he does a concert in a different state without the proper authorization. And they tack on another five years of probation. And now he's got, he still has six years of probation left today. And he's been on probation. Right. So, So he's got no chance to actually succeed in that situation. I can tell you, if you put me... The Jewish kid from suburban Philadelphia on probation. I couldn't make a year with what he needs to go through. There's not possible. And the prime time fuck up years of my life from 18 to 31. You know, of all the people that I've been involved with and helped get out of prison, none of them have reoffended or offended for the first time. If they were innocent, it's probably a better way of saying it. And again, none. But hold on. Some will. And that's okay. Because you know what? At the end of the day, we need to make the world a better place. And if we get millions of people out of the criminal justice system. And if you make mistakes, that's okay because there's a lot of people that aren't in the criminal justice system that will also make mistakes. This is never going to be perfect. And that's the problem. If someone says, hey, we should keep that 6.7 or 6.9 million people stuck in the criminal justice system, the few million that shouldn't be there because someone may make a mistake, nothing's perfect. Like we need need to get it right overall. And that's the same approach I take in business. We want to make good overall decisions we don't go for perfection. If we went for perfection, we'd never get anything done. Of course not. And I said, I've been lucky in that sense. And of the people, uh, of the Innocence Project, the people that we've gotten out, a tiny percentage of them have ever been in any sort of trouble again. People age real out of trouble. crime. We when you're talking about real trouble, probably 0% got back in real trouble. There's plenty to celebrate in March and expect.
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Doc Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. A couple of other very important topics I want to uh, talk touch on with you, Meek and Michael. Um, one is prisons themselves and how barbaric our prison system is yeah. when it's supposed to be called a correctional institution and we know that that is uh, the farthest thing from the truth in, in most cases and the other is how important it is for people to get out and vote yeah. because I don't think we can have this conversation without talking about that and some people I've heard somebody say uh, we don't need criminal justice reform we need a criminal justice revolution so which one do you want to take on first of those two uh, we can talk voting it uh, this coming from my culture and where we come from uh, this goes far as back where I say like uh, the other side of America where people don't even believe like that world tends to us and I used to think that but that was deeply false and uh, one of my jobs is try to to teach people the ropes of how voting go because it's even with a judge trying to lock me up for what nothing going over a bridge basically 
We voted for her. Uh, district attorneys where they enforce mandatory minimums and they enforce locking people up for smoking marijuana and things like that. We vote for them. We have to be the ones that vote. And in our culture, the black community, a lot of us don't vote. So it's like white community, too. I yeah. Mean, I, you know, I, I, I ain't really know. I, I know that. In our community, we don't vote at all. I don't even know anybody my age at the age of 18. We ever got up as a group and everybody went to vote. It was like never a thing. We didn't believe in it. So my new thing is to teach the younger people from our culture that come up. Well, all younger people that come up that voting is important because, you know, we have to live under these laws that these people are creating. And if we don't vote, we don't have a voice at all. It's like you don't even count. And a lot of times you look at TV, they had a campaign that said vote or die. I always seen it, but I never really knew what it meant. It was I probably was like uh, 18 years old when they did that campaign. I never really understood it, but nowadays I understood it. Like you either vote or you get housed under a regime, which will eventually kill you if not by jail, not by keeping you in a ruthless environment. It will turn out bad for you, basically. And I I just believe that. If we vote, if we make our presence known, like uh, justice reform, justice reform right now is the number one topic in America, probably. If we make this topic big enough, politically, a lot of people would have to lean towards being lenient on these topics. And By the way, I wouldn't say it's lenient. I'd say appropriate yeah, punishment. Appro- yeah, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say punishment that fits the crime. Because by the way, I'm not lenient. Yeah. I want appropriate Punishment yeah, and, and, that, and that was right. That was that was definitely right. You know, I've been on the board of Families Against Mandatory Minimums, which is a great organization for over 25 years now. And our motto is let the punishment fit the crime. Yeah. I mean, nobody's advocating for chaos. Nobody wants a, a society that is like, you know, well, I, I want to feel I want to feel safe. Everybody but, but does. I, I want my daughter to be safe. But I want your family to be safe. But Look, I, I want, want his kids to be safe, yeah. too. In some I mean? situations, though, that the crimes are boosted so high up is like, what is lenient? But I'll make something really simple. I was just say, how many people are in prison and jail today or on probation because they have a drug problem? By Probably. Way, it's more than a million. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about selling drugs. I'm yeah. talking about anyone who smoked weed. How could you possibly? Weed is becoming legal everywhere. How could you possibly put someone in the criminal justice system for doing something that's becoming legal? Yeah. It makes absolutely no sense. Someone had a problem with Percocet. Yeah. Why do you send them to jail? Send them to rehab. Yeah. It makes no sense. So to me, that's where the punishment needs to fit the crime. I would take everybody who has a drug problem. Yeah. I would get them help. So they get so they solve the drug problem. But it's like as deep as this, like if I sell drugs and the cops come in my house and I'm not there, my mom get found guilty for these drugs in my house. People, moms are getting 30 years in prison, in federal prison for stuff like that. Like your mom got 30 years in prison. That's a life sentence. That's death. That's death. Yeah, right. that's death. Like and your mom way, don't want to send you to prison, even though she might preach to you every day that you selling drugs, you getting out of my house, and she knows it's wrong, but you're her son. If you're in a car with someone who's got drugs and you get pulled over and they find the drugs, it belongs to everybody unless somebody takes responsibility for it and nobody ever does. Nobody ever goes, oh yeah, those are mine, right? So this is how crazy the system is where you could just be next to someone who's doing something wrong but and then you get wrapped not, up. Not, and you- I'm not even talking about full innocence. I'm just talking about like, say if you come from where I come from, like your mom on crack, she's a strung out fiend. You 13 years old, you got a a seven-year-old sister and you coming in the house, it's just baking soda and butter in the refrigerator. And when you go out, look out the window, it's people on the corner selling weed, marijuana, crack cocaine, and they running in fast cash and your little sister don't got nothing to eat. The first thing you're going to do is go outside and pick up, like, this is like normal. Like, 
Mike, if you was in a situation, I I bet a million dollars on it that you would go outside and pick out up a drug. If Kylie was in the house, you fourteen. I'm years gonna old. hire everybody to work for me to do it. No, I'm saying no. I'm talking about <laughs> no, no. I'm talking about if you don't have any of this going on and you're poor, like you don't have any family in the house, and you come see Kylie and there's you butter. do what you gotta do. And but by the way, that's also where. And should that person have no punishment? No, but no, should yeah, they should, should they a... be sent to jail for thirty years? It's the most ridiculous no. thing I've ever heard. And that's why it said. To me. But even if you bring it down to 10 years, 10 years will ruin your life. So like what they got is lean is not even lean. Like it's the rates are boosted up so high. Like what they call, like I, I watch media and social, send them to prison. Like even when people be like, he should have went to prison, he broke probation. Even if I did break probation, if I did commit a crime 10 years ago and I broke probation, People are like, send them back to prison. I'm like, do you know what prison is? I'm like, when I say shackled up in a cage, I mean like shackled real chains. When you take a baby step, it's cutting your legs. And like the same thing you see in a slavery movie, it's the same thing. And I'm like, do people really understand what they sound like? Send them to prison? Like Mike came to myself. Mike was like, <laughs> he was like, it's not bad as it could be. In my head, I'm like. Well, but that's because I'm an optimistic person and I always want to. Look at things positively. And it's 10 degrees. I don't have a toilet seat. The water that I'm coming out of my sink is the same water connected to the toilet. It's filthy. Like, it's like, it's 10 mice in my cell at night running around. You, like, it's, it's, you can't even imagine it. And I'm like, I'm here. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't. By the way, the thing that bothers me so much, the amount of people I've told about your story, and everyone, it's now proven that you were wrongfully convicted because we have a cop who was one of the two arresting officers who signed the affidavit saying, no, you didn't point the gun, yeah. which is what you were charged for. Yet, and your probation violations were you popped a wheelie on a motorcycle, you broke up a fight in an airport. Yet there are people who say, yeah, put him back in jail for 10 years, which is, it shows how backwards so many people are in this country as well. But just when you speak on jail, that is like, it's just like a place, a hotel where you go to sit at. No, it's some shit that will ruin your whole train of thought. Like you in here like, the mat you're sleeping on is probably four inches thick. And after that is metal and cement. Like you got this guy's 80 years old sleeping on mattresses and stuff like they didn't kill anybody. They may have been on probation and they felony after felony, you 80 years old, you you poor. You've been in the system so long. I, it's, it's hard to explain. You have to see it and be there. Like even what they do with juveniles, they got juveniles locked in cages. These are cement cages that they had these kids in. And most of these kids didn't kill any, anybody. Now, I'll tell you something. I was so proud of you, but it's a scary story. So the day that I brought Robert Kraft to visit Meek in yeah. prison, we were sitting there and we were just kind of talking. And I was really just kind of listening to Robert and Meek talk. And Robert looked at Meek and he said, you know, I don't understand how, you, how, how you're handling this. So how are you so happy? He said, like, last time I was with you, we were on a plane flying to a, an all-star game. And you were on the top of the world. Now you're in an orange jumpsuit, locked in prison. You've got a smile from ear to ear to ear. And Meek, he's generally pretty quick with his answers. He thought about it for about 30 seconds. Yeah. <clears throat> and he looked at Robert. He said, you know, this has been my entire adult life. I was wrongfully convicted for a crime I didn't commit. I've been sent back to prison multiple times, never committed a new crime. But this is the first time people are actually fighting for me. And that makes me so happy. So for me, I was mortified of the situation, yeah, but completely proud of how well he was handling that horrific situation. Yeah, this is the best situation I've ever been in as far as dealing with the system with having like 
real credible people stand behind me because, like Mike said, I'm telling them, like, yo, if y'all had guns in here, y'all not even police officers. If I came in here and all y'all had firearms and I came in here pointing a gun, nine times out of ten, where would I be? Dead, of course. Yeah, well, so with a police point, officer- Pointing guns against a cop, probably ten out of yeah, ten. Yeah, cops so, are trained to neutralize people who cause threat towards their lives. Like, this is like- Normal, like you get away with this. This is what you should do. You're trained to do this. Not me one-on-one with a cop. Like, and you know, one-on-one, anybody could get scared and want to run away. No, this is a group of cops doing a full-blown raid and me being accused of pointing a gun at all of them. So me, one more question. Before I do that, I want to remind people who are listening, vote, vote, and vote. And vote Definitely. in your local races, in your DA's races, in your judges' races. Your vote counts. We have races that actually ended up tied, right? Yeah. I mean, your vote counts. And your judge don't, don't have yourself. to be white against a black to be racist. It could be white on white racism. It could be black on black racism. It, it and, Make sure you vote for the right people. And when you're voting for judges, nobody really knows because you just see a judge. on the, you But don't when you're voting background. for a DA, yeah. you can make good decisions. And people knew when they voted for the DA in Pennsylvania that he was a more thoughtful person on the criminal justice system. And there's yeah. been lots of new DAs that have had much more modern approaches. The approach hasn't been lock everybody up and put all black America in prison. It's been, let's have an accurate punishment for an, a crime. And yeah. that's who you should be voting for. Yeah. And I'm going to say one more thing before I turn the last question over to you, which is everybody who's out there, at some point you're going to get asked to serve on a jury. Nobody likes it. We get those things in the mail. We're like, oh my God, I don't have time for this, whatever. It's a big pain. You got to go. Because when you go, there might be a Meek Mill in front of you. There might be somebody else who's being- Might be an Eric Riddick in front of you. An Eric Riddick in front of you, a case that all three of us are involved with and we're going to get him out come hell or high water. So get up, get out, and go vote and go serve on the jury because the ask you save could be your own. And now, rather than ask a final question, I'm just going to do what I do at the end of the show, which is, I always say it's my favorite part of the show. I think it's probably the audience's favorite part of the show too, which is when I stop talking and just turn the mic over to you for final last words. And Michael, I'm going to let you go first and then me can uh, back clean up and and close out the show. So Michael, what would you want to tell people? How could they get involved? What can they do? What's, what's the solution? Well, I think we're in a great position because I actually think this is a big problem that needs to be addressed. I think it's going to be, I think if we just take common sense toward this juicy problem, we're going to make the world a better place. And I'm actually for a guy who had, absolutely 0.0 exposure to the criminal justice system until I met Meek and then still really didn't understand it until November 6th of last year. I'm really optimistic because I believe that this is a completely broken system that with a lot of focus and energy, we can make the country a much better place. And to me, that's exciting. So, you know, what I would say to everybody is make a difference. I didn't make any difference until seven months ago. And I'm actually, you know, I've got three great businesses that I run and I've got a great daughter and great family and friends. Yet I'm as energized about this as anything because I see how broken it is and I see how much fixing it needs. Meek, last words. And before you even go, I want to thank you and Michael. Yeah, thank for you. Le- for not just for being on the show, but for lending your voice and your energy and your, your, your money and your time 
to this movement. Um, Thank you for your focus. What you're doing is incredible. You've been at this for 25 years. Um, Meek's been stuck in the system for 13 years, and I've been at this for seven months, so thank you. Well, I'm I'm older than you are, so I've had more time. Fortunately. Nonetheless. um, But yeah, it's it's an obsession, and I'm not going to stop until we fix it together. So, But anyway, so thank you both again for being here and sharing your your thoughts and your and your energy, your collective wisdom. So, Meek, what are your last words for the audience that's out there? Uh, my last words to the audience is just know I'm dedicated. Uh, this is a life mission. Uh, I actually suffered from uh, the criminal justice system for over 10 years. And, you know, uh, I actually walked the walk on the other side of the wall with some innocent men who I know are basically suffering and uh, families are suffering. So, you know, I felt the pain firsthand and, you know, I'm going to continue to do what I need to do to uh, help make change and not fix the system but break the system completely and rebuild it again because the way we lived and and the things we've been through with the system it it doesn't even take crime or or take being a villain to go to jail you know what i'm saying and and, you know it's it's thousands of millions of people trapped inside on the other side of the wall that actually need help and you know i think this is the right season to make change and putting all my efforts into it and uh, hopefully you know we make change within the next few years and, and free a lot of people from the prison system don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts it really helps and i'm a proud donor to the innocence project and i really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex-
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. 